Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Oh, well, good morning to you, Landry. Good to see you. I'm Michael Flake, one of our pastors here. It's always good to be together as a church family, both in the YMCA and worshiping online as we rebuild the habits of worshiping and serving together on Sunday morning. Always good to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is the person, the goal, the thing, the idea that everything in my life revolves around? Because Jesus Christ has said that he wants to be at the center of our lives. And if we ever invite him there, that we'll experience real life, abundant life on earth, everlasting life after earth. Well, we are uh, in the midst of a season of celebration in the life of the church. We celebrated uh, on August 15th, which feels like an eternity ago. On August 15th, we celebrated our 10th birthday as Lake Forest Davidson. Congratulations. You are 10 years and a month old. On that day, we started our Established in Love campaign. We were specifically asking for two kinds of commitments during the campaign. First was financial commitments to go towards a church building on South Main Street in Davidson. And then the second were personal commitments so that we might be a healthy church as we, at the end of this year, with the blessing of Lake Forest, become our own local church called Story Hill Church. So last Sunday was the hand-in, the commitment Sunday. And so later in the service, sort of towards the end of the service, I'd love to give you kind of a preliminary update on where we are with Established in Love. If you've ever done one of these campaigns, you know it takes months for all the cards to come in. Pandemics do not help with that. Uh, but I thought a preliminary update might be in order as we start to make the transition from the make a commitment to the make good on a commitment part of the campaign. I love watching the congregation engage with this, and I'm excited to kind of give you an update. And hopefully after the update, you will want to turn to someone and give them a high five or a low five. What's in between a high five and a low five? A middle five? A middle five. Great. We're going to call it a middle five. I'm all for it. Today we continue our year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. For all of 2021, we are going through the big picture of the Bible. That from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world, and you and I are invited to come and find our place in it. So we've gone throughout the first half of the Bible, and we've been hearing about this coming hero, this wounded champion called the Messiah, called the Christ, who's going to lead an eternal kingdom. Now we're in the second half of the Bible, and we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's fully God, that he's fully human. God wrapped himself in humanity and moved into the neighborhood, and he came here on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us back to God. Jesus began to invite people. Well, he came to establish God's kingdom to do so in love, and then he started to invite people into the kingdom, invite you, invite me into the kingdom with these words, come, follow me. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. 
So we've watched Jesus teach. We've watched Jesus heal. We saw him muzzle a storm. We, we've watched him invite people into God's open arms. His first disciples have come to realize that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And Jesus told them, good job. Now don't tell anybody. At least not yet. First I have to be killed and be raised from the dead on the third day. And then and only then will you understand what kind of Messiah I am and what kind of kingdom this is. And then you can tell the whole world. So now we're making a shift. We are shifting into the final hours of Jesus' life. The final hours where he and his first disciples have gone to Jerusalem. They've gone to celebrate the Passover festival. Kevin read part of this earlier for us from John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible and you're in the gym, you're always free to grab one on the table as you head out the door. The setup and packup team thank you in advance. The bucket gets lighter, you see. Jesus and his first disciples, I have to explain the joke sometimes, yeah, yeah. Jesus and his first disciples have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and we learned this, John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some translations will say he showed them the full extent of his love. I mean, what, what would you do if you knew that you were in your final hours? This is not the most pleasant thing to think about, but what would you do if you knew you were in your final hours? I think about what occupies most of your days. Would any of those things make the cut? How much of our days are filled up with the urgent but what would we do in our final hours? What would truly make the cut? I would probably do at least one last trip to the Taco Bell, because I'm pretty sure they don't have a Taco Bell in heaven. Amen. I actually got an amen on that line. Love it. But what else would make the cut? Our lives are full of what's urgent, but what is important? Of all the things that Jesus could have done in his final hours before he died, this is what he did. Verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, fully God, fully human, knows that his death is in, imminent, and so he decides to wash his disciples' feet. Now, in that day and time, servants washed feet. In the eyes of society, it was not an important job. It would have been, in our words, a minimum wage job. It was not the kind of job a professional person would do, not the kind of job a religious leader would do, certainly not the kind of job God would do. And yet Jesus stooped down in the dust and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. And he showed us that all sorts of jobs, all sorts of tasks, all sorts of actions can be wonderful, can be God-honoring, because all sorts of actions, all sorts of tasks, all sorts of opportunities give us the chance to serve people. And why do we serve people? We serve to love a buddy of mine has a church whose motto is, we love to serve. 
But I've always wondered if it wouldn't make just as much sense if you flipped the order. We serve to love. We serve to love. Whether or not you love to serve, you can serve to love. When you serve another person, when I serve another person, when you serve someone here at the church, when you serve someone at school, when you serve someone at work, when you serve your neighbor, when you serve anyone in whatever corner of the world God has put you in, when you serve someone, you show them that you care about them. You show them that you love them. You show them that you're glad God created them. And when the hours were ticking down, Jesus got up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, started to wash the feet of his disciples. He served to love. So we look at Jesus' example and we see at least four things. Number one, number one. Number, 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 number one. In John 13, Jesus served to love all kinds of people. Jesus served to love all kinds of people. Sitting in that room were all kinds of people. You had a tax collector who worked for the Roman government. You had a zealot who wanted to violently overthrow the Roman government. You had Thomas who questioned everything, and you had multiple people who without a single question had decide, given their whole lives to following Jesus. There were all kinds of people in that room. And Jesus did not force his followers into a mold. In fact, he washed the feet of all kinds of people. As a church, may we continue and serve to love all kinds of people. However they vote, however they identify, whatever their color, class, or creed, people of simple faith, people with a million questions. God's love through Jesus is available to all people. And so what a beautiful thing when you and I serve and thus love all kinds of people. And then the passage, if you go and read John chapter 13, you'll notice the passage makes an, an effort to point out specifically there of all these all kinds of people, specifically there are two people that the passage wants to call attention to that Jesus washed their feet. The first of those people is Peter. Peter. So number two, in John chapter 13, Jesus served to love, number two, those who were struggling. Those who were struggling. Jesus came to wash Peter's feet, and Peter said in verse 8, No, you shall never wash my feet. Now, you may or may not know all of Peter's story, but he is hours away from denying Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. Three points is a trend. He did it three times. And then Jesus, hours before that, tries to wash his feet, and Peter says, no, he refuses, at least at first, he refuses. He's actually the only one of the disciples who objects to Jesus trying to wash his feet. This is not the first time he's ever objected to Jesus either. Earlier, he's objected to Jesus talking about how he has to die. And when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter's the one who says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And he's like, you're right, don't tell anybody, I've got to die first. And, G and Peter says, quit talking about dying, Jesus. That's morbid. That's not going to happen. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. 
He is struggling with how Jesus doesn't fit the picture he has in his head of what it means to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, to be the Son of God, to be fully God, to be fully human. He's totally on board with this Jesus thing, but he can't get his head around what it really means because the picture in his head and what's actually happening don't match. You're going to die? You're going to wash my feet? What kind of Messiah are you? What kind of eternal kingdom are you here to establish? Peter is struggling. And in fact, he's hours away from having his commitment to Jesus so stretched it's going to break. He's struggling. He's struggling in ways he doesn't fully understand. And yet Jesus insists on serving and thus loving Peter. Jesus insists on serving and thus loving those who are struggling. If we can be honest, a word that might describe some of us, maybe many of us, when we first became part of this church family is the word struggling. Some of us struggling in ways we didn't even recognize. And the commitment of our church from the very beginning has been to love you, to serve you week in and week out. Jesus washed Peter's feet, so we'll set out a chair for you. We'll say hello to you at the door. We'll make sure there's room for you in our community group. We'll make sure there's room for you on a serving team. We love to the struggling, so we serve to love the struggling. Because, the, fr frankly, all of us have periods where we're struggling. So may we always continue to be a church that loves the struggling, that serves the struggling. If we ever cease to serve to love the struggling, that's the day you can boot me out. I'll still be part of the church, that's fine. But I need a different role in the church if we stop serving and loving the struggling. I'll go get me a job down at the Taco Bell, get my $500 signing bonus. Y'all find somebody else to lead the thing. It'll be great. And I'll still be here. I'll play in the, I'll play in the band. I'd actually join the setup team. Setup team is my jam. Number three. So, so John 13 points out that Peter's in the room when he washes the feet. It also points out Judas Iscariot is in the room when he washes the feet. Judas, the guy who's going to sell out Jesus for 30 silver coins... And Jesus washes Judas's feet. So in John chapter 13, number 3, Jesus served to love those far from God. Jesus served to love those far from God. And Jesus didn't have to leave the room to find somebody far from God. So from the very beginning, when followers of Jesus gather together, we make sure there's room for people far from God to join us. Some of us, when we first walked in here, were far from God. Some of us are far from God today. Here's the good news. Jesus washed the feet of the guy who was about to sell him out for 30 silver coins. You have a fighting chance. Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. You have a fighting chance. You're not too far gone. And as a church family, and please join in with this, we are committed to serve to love those who are far from God so that you will know God is not far. 
God has put so many wonderful churches, so many wonderful people of faith in our community so that you can experience his love firsthand. Because we follow Jesus, or if you ever come to follow Jesus, we serve to love those who are far from God. And then number four, in John 13, Jesus served to love. Number four, finally, 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 number four, the world outside of that room. In John 13, Jesus served to love. Number four, the world outside of that room. Have you ever seen ripples in a lake? This is one of Indy's new, like, favorite things, is throwing rocks in a lake. She really wants to throw herself in the lake, and when she's told not, she says, which means please. But when you see ripples in a lake, when you see waves in a pool, you know something happened. A frog jumped in the lake, Indy threw a rock in the pond, Grandma did a belly flop in the pool, something has happened. There's been an impact event, and you see the effects, you see the ripples, you see the waves. You know that it happened, even if you didn't see the event itself, because you see the results. You see the ripples, you see the waves. Jesus watching the feet of his first disciples is one of those impact events. It's one of the moments that started the ripple effect that we see through the last books of the Bible, but we actually still see today. Jesus set an example that has not yet died out. He served his earliest disciples in a small little upstairs room as a catalyst to serve to love the people outside of that room. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. God's family is led by the one who left the comforts of heaven to endure the sufferings of earth. And he withstood hatred. He withstood insults. He would eventually stoop down in the dust and wash the feet of struggling people, even the one who would betray him. When you see how far Jesus stooped, when you see how sacrificially he served, how much must he love the world? If you serve to love and you see how deep Jesus stooped, how deep must that love be? How much must he love you? Look at how he served and imagine how he loves. Serving, especially serving in community, often helps us uncover some of the places where we need Jesus to change us. We serve to love. And so when we find ourselves not wanting to serve, or if we intentionally or unintentionally resist serving someone, in other words, loving someone, if we see certain acts as being beneath us, we're starting to find places in ourselves that need to be changed that maybe our heart is hard, or maybe there's hatred inside of us. Maybe we have a prejudice that blinds us and that we might be blind to. Maybe we think too highly of ourselves. 
Whatever the case is, when we are confronted with the importance of serving others, we're able to see places in us that are out of step with God's heart, out of step with God's mind. And as people who really want to live, we are willing to say, God, change me. God, change this part about me. Jesus, make me more like you. Make me more like you, Jesus, the God of all creation who came to earth to kneel in the dust to wash the feet of the guy who sold him out for 30 silver coins. And then who said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then Jesus took it one step further, and Jesus prayed for his disciples. Well, isn't that sweet, you might say? They ended the foot washing with a prayer, and he prayed for his disciples. Well, he did pray for his disciples, but it wasn't just those disciples. This was Jesus' prayer. John 17, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that, you may, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me." So that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or sometime in the future you become a follower of Jesus, he is praying for you. In his final hours, when he could have done anything, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed that we would be unified, not uniform, unified that our lives and our life together would show people that Jesus is real, that Jesus has the very power of God because he managed to bring together a ragtag band of people who would want nothing to do with each other except that we have been changed and we are being transformed by this person named Jesus. And so Jesus prayed that people would see in you, people would see in me, that we live from approval. Not for approval, from approval. Because God acts towards us the same way he would act towards Jesus. And so our identity has been given to us as a follower of Jesus. My identity has been given to me. Like Jesus, I live from God's approval. Not for God's approval, not for anybody else's approval. We live from God's approval as followers of Jesus, or if you become a follower of Jesus. So Jesus may not have literally washed our feet like he did Peter's and Judas's and Matthew the tax collector's and Simon the zealot's, but Jesus did pray for you. He prayed for me in his final hours when he only had time to do the absolutely most important things. He served us. He reiterated that he loves us, and he did it by praying for us and praying that we might be brought to complete unity. And Jesus still loves, Jesus still serves, Jesus still prays for us today. 
If you're going in the, midst, uh, in the midst of something crazy and you hope, well, I hope somebody's praying for you. One of the good things the scripture tells us is, well, good news, Jesus is praying for you. If you haven't told anybody else about it, there's at least somebody praying for you. And it's not just you when you wake up because you can't sleep. Jesus still loves, still serves, still prays for us today. The question I'd love for you to reflect on as I sort of wrap up is this. How has Jesus served and thus loved you through others? Including our church family. How has Jesus served and thus loved you through others? How might he be calling you to serve and thus love one more person? How has Jesus done it? How might he be calling you to join him in it? Because Jesus has set for us an example. And as we follow him, he will confront our immaturity, confront our pride, confront our selfishness, confront our prejudices. He will also gift us with amazing love and amazing joy because we join in the redemptive work that he is doing in this world. He will show us more clearly what our mission and our purpose in life is because we'll start to realize that it lines up with what his mission and his purpose in the world is. So what would it look like for you to start? To take a different set of eyes to your neighbor, to your classmate, to your professor, to your teacher, to your coach, to your office buddy, if anyone goes to the office. What would it look like to, to take different eyes to the church family? That yes, I can worship online, but that means someone got here at 7 a.m. To, to, to get the stream going. How might you be a part of actively serving? If you're one of those cards that still needs to come in for the next one to two months, you'll remember there's ways to sign up for community and serving on the cards themselves. So grab the Established in Love booklet, find the card, and even if you... We actually had a person turn in a card who was not, didn't feel able to give a financial commitment, but did want to take a step forward in community and serving. So you could be the second person to do that. Well, just find a way to take a step forward, ask God for different eyes to see the world around you. What would it mean for you to take a new step of loving people, which is to say, serving people, however far from God, however struggling, however different from you they might be. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, we see in your final hours before your death that you came to establish a kingdom built on unity, built on prayer, built on community, built on serving, built on making room for one more person, however struggling or far from God they might be. The impact event of Jesus continues to make waves. Lord, you continue to write redemptive stories in us and through us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to transform us from the inside out. And that as part of our redemptive story, we might become people who follow the footsteps of Jesus. Push away from the table. Get down in the dust. And serve the people you've put in our lives. as a way to clearly say, I love you, I care about you, I'm glad God created you. Lord, some of us can't imagine what it would mean to be even in Peter's shoes. We kind of get Peter when he said, no, you cannot wash my feet. I'm open to the, the notion of God, but I'm not here to be served by God. I'm not here to let God serve me. Lord, would you open our hearts to realize you have served us in ways we can never repay. And so we give you what little we have to give. We give you our lives. We pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.